God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So Fauci came down with COVID, four times vaxxed, boosted, the poster boy of all that, wearing double masks, and he got COVID. So let's just admit it, you know, that if Fauci's getting COVID, everybody's getting or. Maybe it's that he didn't want to show up for his committee hearing today in person. Now, I understand he's going to maybe do a Zoom, but uh, you never know about those Zoom things. You could have an advisor putting post-it notes up in front of you saying, don't answer that. It's a lot easier to get out of trouble when you're Zooming it in than, you know, and you have a team of lawyers then, uh, but he's going to be asked some questions. I believe it's today, and you wonder if they're not using COVID for yet another excuse to, you know, not be present. So, I don't know, but but it's not a good uh, sign that Doctor Fauci would 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 have gotten that. Like I said, I I got COVID uh, just recently. I tested twice, positive, and. I got it, and, you know, it was pretty easy to beat. It wasn't that, uh, you know, and I had never been vaccinated, and I'm, I've never been that vaccinated. And, you know, that that's kind of a, a nice thing because what I'm reading is uh, there seems to be, like Justin Bieber, I was reading this story, you know, how half his face went numb, uh, paralyzed. His uh, wife had some some health issues as well. They're in their 20s. And, you know, they're both vaxxed. And you just, some, some of these weird things that are happening with these uh, soccer athletes and, and um, you know, around the world, and you're seeing them drop dead. And turns out they have myocarditis or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm just really glad that, you know, I, I never got vaxxed. 
You know, I feel bad for the people that, that had to get vaxxed. You know, there are people out there that um, will lose their job and their livelihood and they're not in a position where they can afford to do that and they have to get vaxxed. And I don't blame them one second. I blame the government, though, for forcing these types of things down the throats of average American citizens just so that they could survive. They're working to what? Pay their gas? They're working to fill up their gas tank. And I hear the efficacy rating. I read that the the efficacy rating for uh, four-year-olds and five-year-olds and children is there's no efficacy. There's no difference whether you get vaxxed or you don't uh, with regard to uh, its efficacy. So why are they forcing these kids to take it? When there's no benefit, and and why is why is anyone profiting off of this? Why is this not a net neutral kind of thing? No profit. Why is it that Pfizer <clears throat> is embracing globalism and getting a seat at the table at Davos and World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab sitting there getting? getting the royal treatment, you know, because Klaus Schwab has in his contract, anywhere he goes, he gets treated like a head of state, like he's as if he's a president of a country. He, he has that written in his contract. That's the way he needs to be presented or received or treated. Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. And I was just reading up about... Um, Another index that they're they're using, it's the uh, Environmental, Social, and Governance Index. And the S&P 500 has the ESG indices um, benchmark standard. And this is all what the World Economic Forum and, and the uh, <clears throat> globalist agenda puts together. They put together, so the S&P has embraced it. Uh, the S&P has a 500 ESG index. And the stock exchange and the stock market are there. And so we've talked about BlackRock in the past. And BlackRock is a company that, you know, controls all, just about all the companies. And Vanguard is, is not much different, only maybe a little smaller. But... They're controlling all these corporations. So if you think that Pepsi and and Coca Cola are are at odds with each other, they're not because the the profit goes to the same organization because BlackRock owns them both. So and owns the conglomerate companies that own those companies, like Procter and Gamble owns a truckload of different products that you see on the market, and then. Another competing company owns another set of competing products that you would buy at Walmart that would compete with Procter & Gamble, just like Kellogg and General Mills and Post are these cereal chains. They have all kinds of different cereals, but they compete with each other. And at the top of the food chain is a company like BlackRock that profits, no matter if you buy Post or General Mills or Kellogg's, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. So where's the competitive nature? 
where's the free market capitalism? Well, why are and why are we not um, subject to antitrust laws at that level? Isn't that bad for business when you have a con- uh, conglomerate or a monopoly like that? And and then now they're picking winners and losers. They're they're basically picking countries. They're stronger than countries. And they're now deciding what it is uh, that they want to be in terms of uh, they, they control the green climate initiatives. So they're sort of like woke BlackRock. And let's take a listen to um, this opening. It's actually the audio version of this uh, particular um, but they, it does a good job. I tested it out. I, it's the first time I've ever done this. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Let's take a listen to this. Uh, BlackRock. This is over at Epic Times. Brand new, brand new story that just came out. Let's take a listen. BlackRock sells U.S. interests for personal favors in China, consumer group director says. BlackRock, the world's largest investment manager that oversees $10 trillion in client funds, has positioned itself as a socially conscious firm. However, the company is choosing China over the United States as it advances its environmental and social priorities, according to Will Hild, executive director of Washington-based nonprofit Consumers Research. Hilt said BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is selling out the interests of American consumers and American companies in the United States in return for personal favors for BlackRock in mainland China during a recent interview with Epic TV's China Insider Program. Fink has been one of the most prominent advocates for ESG investment, which is investing in companies that agree to uphold certain environmental, social, and governance standards. However, according to Fink, ESG is an excuse for Wall Street to push politics into corporate America. In other words, Wall Street is pushing ESG policies that could never be achieved at the ballot box, he added. Additionally, BlackRock has also taken up the position of supporting a net-zero emission future. The company's website tells its clients that climate transition creates a historic investment opportunity. So you see net zero, net zero. I got a, I got a TED speech that um, I'm going to play for you today uh, r- with regard to what net zero actually means because it's, it's, a, it's a farce when they talk about electric vehicles versus... So, you know, um, Elon Musk is upset because uh, where Exxon is on the top 10 of environmental, social, and governance... In, uh, corporations, ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So these corporations uh, like Disney, for example, um, or no, what was it? Delta. Delta and airline um, decided that they would fly uh, people who wanted to get abortions to a state uh, where it would be friendly for them to get an abortion. And they would give it free of charge. So, you know, that would be sort of like woke. And I had a liberal friend of mine bring up the article and I said, yeah, that's worked wonders for Netflix and Disney. Right. And uh, and then I told her the story about Jim Crow laws and how, <clears throat> you know, Jim Crow laws were um, 
these laws brought about in the South by social uh, socialists, liberals, white liberal Democrats is what WikiLeaks, not WikiLeaks, Wikipedia says. So Jim Crow laws were established by, you know, white liberal Democrats to segregate the South and to separate blacks from whites. And it was the Democrats that did this because the Democrats love segregation. They love first class VIP treatment. They love separating the classes. They love separating all of these things. And they do it in a way that you end up paying for it in the end. Um, But in any case, so they've always embraced that. But those laws that they were passing were guidelines, sort of like COVID. And we talked about this throughout the COVID pandemic, about how they're issuing these states of emergency. Like, for example, um, the governor, uh, Huckle, Hochul, from uh, New York, just signed herself a decree that says, we're going to continue the COVID emergency act. And I'm going to basically, you know, she's basically going to have full control to just write everything up in a pen, not work with the legislation, not not work with the legislature, not have any of the politicians accountable for anything. And that's the problem. You know, that's why I like it when politicians uh, like Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene constantly is objecting to these yay and nay votes in the House and basically saying we, we would like to, you know, a real vote on this. And, you know, we want every politician to have to defend their position as to why they voted a certain way on something. It's not just a yay or nay vote where somebody could claim uh, that they didn't uh, support it. So put it down on the record. And in, in Jim Crow, Jim Crow laws, just like COVID restrictions, these were unconstitutional. So they were going to depend on the corporate uh, partnerships, government corporate partnerships, and the corporations benefit uh, by giving be, being given gifts or uh, deregulation um, and allowances uh, from the government as payback for their participation. And if they don't participate, well, then the IRS is going to audit them and put them out of business. So you play ball with the government because the government's the strongest entity in town and you advance these policies that would never pass the muster of, uh, you know, constitutionality. And you can get away with that because private business is not subject to the same standard of whether or not they need to honor the Constitution. Just look at the censorship that we have in big tech social media. Just look at that. So, you know, they they want to get to this net zero, but basically climate change is just a ploy. It's just a way. And with this new ESG, this environmental social governance, it's, it's a way for companies like BlackRock and people like Larry Fink or Klaus Schwab to get together and rule the world and run the world without ever being elected without even having to take a pay cut because they own everything. They can control the real estate market like BlackRock and other banks 
have done. They're they're buying up properties all, all over the place, yeah, jacking up the price of housing to make it almost non affordable. To where you're going to be even when you own your home, you're going to be renting it from a bank. <clears throat> but we talk about this uh, electric vehicles, and this is where Elon Musk comes in, and he's upset that he's not on the list of environmentally friendly companies. And you're like, whoa, why? And there's a really good TED, um, a really good TED posi- uh, presentation. Because one of the things I w- I've been studying a little bit more about is, is um, electric vehicles are, are uh, supposed to be clean, but they're not, but but the the cost the cost to make them is not very clean we did a we did a presentation um on the Scott Adams show we did it uh with regard to the Congo and the mining of cobalt to make the batteries you know they you need these precious metals and it's very exhaustive uh, it involves slave labor there's a lot of CO2 or O2 emissions that goes off into the environment just to mine for that stuff. Think about all the digging and excavating you have to do to get the cobalt. And then all the slave labor that you have going on in the Congo. And the inhumane treatment of people. But the globalists really don't care. They only care when it's when the when, when the cameras are on and you know you know, Greta Thornburg, you know, they get someone like that to speak. They only care in platitudes. They don't care in reality. <clears throat> so you have the Congo. You have, and that's just one example. They have my, cobalt mining in Afghanistan and elsewhere as well. You know, so they have it all over the world. But that was just a really good presentation that we put together um, uh for you to, to, to so you could see what's going on the blood almost like blood diamonds right blood money for these electric vehicles to make these batteries uh, to enrich China and BlackRock is again picking and choosing company countries to where they're going to be friendly and they're as strong as some some countries BlackRock is ten trillion dollars in assets ten trillion. So then there's the uh, whole impact of waste. I was reading an article about all these French uh, government vehicles in France. And there were all these vehicles. I don't know if they were, um, I don't believe that there were cabs, but they, they could have been. Um, but they were uh, all government-owned property. And there were thousands of these cars. And there were electric cars. And they came equipped with their batteries. And one of the issues was, where are we going to put them? And it's like, okay, all these perfectly good cars. Um, I liked it when uh, John from the Chicago area uh, mentioned about tires. I didn't know that. That was interesting that he said that um, about the shelf life of tires. And now there's story after story about people that are getting their electric vehicles and then going back to combustible engines because they don't like the delays, the weight, uh, the the inconveniences of filling up, uh, because you know, and the and the, the how slow it takes for a battery to charge. But what are you going to do with the waste? How about the expense of the tires? Uh, you get uh, 
you know, you get much less mileage out of a tire because the the weight of a battery. So it's it's a lot of different things. But what's interesting is in France with this vehicle that we were talking about, they have to throw the whole car out because the battery costs more than the car. How many times have you had a product like that, right? Where you, it's like uh, you, uh, like a printer. You know, sometimes the toner costs more than the printer. And you're like, well, shoot, I'll just throw out the whole printer and buy another printer for 129 bucks. I'll get the printer and I'll get the toner with it. You know, and just throw the printer out. After a while, it starts to wear down and whatever. But, you know, people make that decision all the time. Well, that's what the, that's the kind of decision they're going to be making with the cars. And these cars, so there's this cost to, to bring to market with respect to not just money, but CO2. And that's where this TED uh, presentation comes in to play. Because he talks about it. And he says, and if you want to get an electric vehicle that can do 400 miles like a gas engine, he said, well, then that cost to market is going to be far higher in terms of the O2 emissions because the amount of CO2 for the mining of the battery and everything else in between, the O2 emissions, emissions into the environment before the car even gets purchased the electric vehicle is much more damaging to the environment than a combustible engine. Now, he presents this to a liberal audience because, you know, we we know that Ted is a very liberal audience. So I thought it was kind of interesting the way he started this out. And we're going to go ahead and take a listen to this um, right here. So this guy's name is Graham Conway. And I thought it was a pretty good presentation uh, worth sharing to give us food for thought with respect to electric vehicles. He tends to uh, appreciate hybrid vehicles more than electric vehicles, for example. Um, But let's take a listen. Change is a hoax. And the electric vehicle is an abomination. let's, Let's take a listen again. Climate change is a hoax. And the electric vehicle is an abomination. Someone once told me that to capture an audience's attention, you need to offend them. (laughs) And what better way to offend people than to denounce climate change? Because if there's one thing the world may unanimously agree upon, is that we'd all like it to be here in the future. So now that I have your attention, let me revisit those opening comments, I do actually believe in climate change, but I do have a problem with the way we define electric vehicles. So this talk will still offend some people. I can almost see the YouTube comments on this video now. It isn't pretty. But this talk is not about demonizing the electric vehicle unfairly. I absolutely believe they are the future of personal transportation. They do a fantastic job at moving pollution out of densely populated cities. They're fun to drive, and you can get free parking too sometimes. And I know this because I owned an electric vehicle for three years, and it was a great car. 
There will absolutely be a place for the electric vehicle in our future. But not today. Let me start with a question. There are one billion passenger cars on the world's roads today. If I gave you a button which would turn them all into electric vehicles, would you push it? The problem of climate change is a global one. It is believed to be caused by increasing CO2 concentrations in our atmosphere. If you put a box around the Earth and measured the gases trapped inside that box, you would indeed find CO2, and that CO2 levels are rising. What is causing CO2 levels to rise? Well, one source is the cars and trucks that we drive. These emit CO2 from the tailpipe. And the way the industry currently measures this CO2 is like putting a special box around the vehicle and measuring what's inside the box. Society's solution to the problem is the electric vehicle. Because if you put a box around the electric vehicle and try and measure CO2, you won't find any. So based on this way of measuring CO2, we've decided to call these zero emissions, or we call these dirty. But let me show you why this is wrong. Consider that instead of changing all vehicles into electric vehicles, we instead change them into horses. Now, a horse breathes in air, and it breathes out CO2. So if you put a box around the horse, you would measure CO2. If you rode that horse the same distance as you drove the car, you would find something quite shocking. The horse emits as much CO2 as a Corvette. So you can see Based on this way of measuring CO2, our only possible conclusion is that if we changed all cars into horses, we would be emitting as much CO2 as one billion Corvettes. And that doesn't sound very good for the environment, does it? But as you sit there, I'm sure something deep inside of you is saying, that doesn't sound right. And you'd be correct. Of course, if we changed all cars into horses, our climate would be better. And here's why it would be better. You see, even though the horse breathes out CO2 into the atmosphere, that CO2 is then absorbed by plants and converted back into oxygen, which the horse breathes in again. And so you see the CO2 is in a cycle. And because it is in a cycle, it doesn't increase. In contrast, the car is different. Because with the car, we dig oil out of the ground, we burn it, and we produce CO2. And it isn't in a cycle, so it is increasing. So you were right to be skeptical. But based on how we currently measure CO2, you could not possibly have come to this conclusion without doing this type of analysis. Let's go back to the electric vehicle. Remember the way we quantify CO2 is to measure it from the tailpipe. But the electric car doesn't burn fuel but it does use electricity. So we have to look at where that comes from. A large proportion of our electricity comes from coal. Now, we dig coal out of the ground in large quantities. We then burn it in power stations, which produces CO2. 
You can see there is no arrow along the top of this diagram. That CO2 is not in a cycle, and it is increasing. But you couldn't possibly know this by only measuring the vehicle's tailpipe. What we need to do is expand our imaginary box to include everything. And coal isn't the only way we generate electricity. We also burn natural gas and we burn oil. These two produce CO2. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, hang on a minute, I charge my electric vehicle from solar panels on my roof. So that's okay, right? Well, for you, maybe. And many developed nations are moving away from coal and natural gas to renewable energy sources. But CO2 is a global problem. So let's have a look at things on a global scale. How much of the world's electricity is produced by burning fuel, which creates CO2? It's about two-thirds. So you can see, when you plug your electric vehicle in, you are probably producing CO2. It just isn't being measured. You see, the automotive industry has cleverly found a way to move the problem, not solve the problem. But is the electric vehicle really worse? Well, to understand if it's worse, we need to look at how much emissions are produced during the life of the vehicle. The average age of a vehicle, before it gets scrapped, is around 180,000 miles. You can see the conventional vehicle produces about 30 tons of CO2 over its lifetime. How does the electric vehicle look? Pretty good, right? Because some of that electricity comes from renewable sources, and because the electric motor is far more efficient than the internal combustion engine, it produces less CO2. But there is a problem with this graph. This graph says that at zero miles, zero CO2 has been produced. And if you think about that for a second, it means that the two cars have magically appeared in the showroom out of thin air. In reality, a huge amount of CO2 is produced just making a vehicle because you have to dig raw materials out of the ground, transport them to factories where they can be formed into car parts before finally being assembled into vehicles. Each step requires energy, and so we create CO2. So you can see the conventional vehicle comes to the showroom having generated about six tons of CO2. And now this is the critical part. Making a battery isn't easy. The materials required are harder to find, and making a battery cell requires a huge amount of energy. So the battery vehicle comes to the showroom having generated about 12 tons of CO2. And you can see you'd have to drive it around 80 or 90,000 miles before you offset that CO2 penalty. But it is better in the end. So the electric vehicle still looks good here as well, right? Well, this is where it gets interesting. You see, the conventional vehicle has a 400-mile range, while the electric vehicle in this example has a 125-mile range. Now, 125 miles might be enough for some of you, but most of us want more. We'd like to be able to drive great distances across the states. Or if you're here in Texas, you might just want to get to the next city. So really, 
we need to be comparing a 400-mile range electric vehicle. And as you may have guessed, a longer range requires a larger battery, which means a larger CO2 penalty. And now you start to see the problem. Over its expected lifetime, it has emitted more CO2 than the conventional vehicle. It has contributed more to climate change than the conventional vehicle, and that is the crux of the problem. It has produced more CO2, but we've measured none. And so society is happy to continue to call these zero emissions. But that is dangerous and unproductive. But there is something we can do today, using technology we have today, which will make a difference today. And that is to look at hybrids. Hybrids are far more efficient than conventional vehicles because at low speeds, where the engine is inefficient, the electric motor compensates and says, don't worry, engine, I've got this. Now, I'm going to stop it right there. Um, the hybrid, uh, turns out, is probably the best choice. Um, but that that particular presentation with respect to um, electric vehicles, uh, I've been studying this for some time, and I was looking for a really good presentation to, uh, to share with you with respect to, uh, you know, sort of like the, the uh, truths or the myth associated with electric vehicles. And I thought that was a really good explanation as to how we measure and, and what we're doing with that. Um, and again, that comes to, the, the, I think this comes, the, this becomes important when we take a look at globalism. We take a look at companies like BlackRock. Uh, we take a look at organizations like the World Economic Forum and so on and so forth, and the, and the price of gas right now, and what the Biden administration is, is actually attempting to do um, with regard to coercion and pricing. Um, caller, you're on the air? Hey, good morning, Scott. Thanks morning. for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, you know, this is, this is a subject that, that, that I feel pretty passionate about. Is I've been trying to explain this exact same thing to people. You know, I mean, the hybrid is is the only logical solution uh, for the technology that we have available right now. You know? Yeah. So you, 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 you switch to hybrids until the electric technology becomes more efficient. Yeah. You know, and but I, it's like, uh, it's like, Hey, uh, we want to get rid of oxygen. So don't breathe oxygen anymore. And we got something else coming. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I still, I, I don't think it's been properly explained what we actually are going to be doing with these batteries. Like, the, like I was talking about the French car, uh, they have to throw the whole car out because the battery is worth more than the car. And yeah. it's sort of like the printer analogy, you know, the, if the toner drum uh, costs more than the printer, you know. So, I mean, it's like. Well, it's like with the, it's like with the cell phones and the tablets now where the batteries are built in. You can't even replace it anymore. So when the yeah. battery dies, the thing's useless. Yeah, yeah, or you end up destroying yeah. your phone trying to, yeah. And nobody's ever explained this concept of zero 
net zero. I mean, no, what, I, does, what does the planet look like when there's no no CO2 in the air anymore? Oh, right, because CO2 actually is what, what helps grass grow, right, and trees grow. Yeah, I mean, nobody's asking that question. Mm-hmm. What does the world look like when you've achieved your goal here? You know, and how do they, because there's always, there's CO2 that is being absorbed back into the planet, and CO and oxygen being made, how can they possibly uh, differentiate between CO two coming from the tailpipe of a Corvette or coming out of a, a, a you know a gopher or a yeah. whale? Yeah. Well, what he was talking about there, he, he kind of laid that out. And what he was talking about there was like you use the horse, right? He says, well, the horse is dropping fertilizer. You know, when, when they go to the bathroom, they're putting it back into the earth and then they're breathing it out. Um, but a Corvette, you dig the oil out of the earth and it goes in one direction. It goes right up into the ozone. So it goes right, right. up into the but atmosphere. But it's still being absorbed, but it's still being absorbed by plants. But nothing is not being, being given back. Reused. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, you know, this is a subject that I, I try to talk to people about. And most people just don't even want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they just they just believe what the globalists are telling them. And the globalists are using this just like they use covid to exploit uh, and gain control and power. Uh they're using climate yeah. uh, very much in the same way as they use covid to control well, they're using- to restrict, to regulate and to dominate. Yeah, they're using people's stupidity against us. Yeah, like Jonathan Gruber said, we were depending on the stupidity of the American voter for this tortured legislation that we call Obamacare. Remember when uh, yeah, Jonathan well, Gruber mean, said that? Yep. And, 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 I mean, you ask most people, what is CO2? They can't even tell you what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's C, one carbon atom, yeah. connected to two oxygen atoms. They don't even know that. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling in today. All right. All right. Thanks for care. taking my call. All right. Bye. Take care. Okay. So here is this Jonathan Gruber thing. Let's take a listen. This was a great clip. Uh, well, absolutely amazing. This is how they passed Obamacare. Speaking of this. It's just, you can't do it politically. You just literally cannot do it. Okay. Transparent financing. And let's have transparent financing. Also transparent spending. I mean... The, this bill was written in a tortured way to make sure CBO did not score the mandate as taxes. If CBO scored the mandate as taxes, the bill dies. Okay? So it was written to do that. In terms of, in terms of risk-rated subsidies, if you had a law which said healthy people are going to pay in, it made explicit that healthy people pay in and sick people get money, it would not have passed. Okay? Just like the people, transparent, lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. And basically, you know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. But basically, that was really, really critical to getting the thing to pass. And, you know, it's the second best argument. Look, I wish Mark was right. We can make it all transparent. But I'd rather have this law than not. So it's kind of like his reporter story. You know, yeah, there's things I wish I could change, but I'd rather have this law than not. So, first of all, you haven't publicly commented on this so far. Do you stand by the comments in that video? Um, the comment in the video were made at an academic conference. I was speeding off, speaking off the cuff. And, and I another thought, message you wrote John Kerry over for like this staff came up with a great substitute idea. They said, look, what you economics nerds want to do is you want to say that for people who expend the health insurance plans, they will no longer get a 40% tax break. What if we instead just levied a 40% tax 
tax on the insurance companies that sell these terrible, expensive Cadillac planes. We said, well, that's pretty much the same thing. But why does it matter? We said, you'll see. And they proposed it, and that passed. Because the American is too stupid to understand the difference. <laughs> so basically... And so I was speeding off, speaking off the cuff. And I Until a second message here arose, John Kerry. And John Kerry said, no, 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 we're going to tax your health insurance. We're going to tax those evil insurance companies. We're going to impose a tax that if they sell health insurance, it's too expensive. We're going to tax them. And conveniently, the tax rate will happen to be the marginal tax rate under the income tax code. So basically, it's the same thing. We just tax the insurance companies. They pass it on higher prices. That offsets the tax break we get. It ends up being the same thing. It's a very clever, you know, basically exploitation of the, of the, of the lack of economic understanding of the American voter. Okay. Conference. I was speeding off, speaking off the cuff. Yeah. What a weasel. Jonathan Gruber. Teaches at MIT economics. Uh, he the the speech that got him in big trouble. He was at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, the Ivy League elite that's living off the uh, reputation of their forefathers, uh, but contributing nothing but liberal ilk to our societies, and they should be ashamed of themselves for speaking that way and behaving that way. These people that think they're so smart, you know, I've always said this with when John Kerry was Secretary of State uh, under uh, Barack Hussein. I, I always said when, when they were putting together the JCPOA and the, you know, with Iran and the whole thing, I said, I would take a cattle rancher from Wyoming any day of the week because what really is happening on the global, uh, you know, when you negotiate deals between countries is your horse trading. It, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's a widget, it's a horse, it's a cattle, it's whatever. But horse trading, <clears throat> I'd rather have a horse trader than <clears throat> some guy that married into wealth like Jonathan, uh, like uh, John Kerry. So there's that. Um, but Jonathan Gruber, that you just heard, is very reminiscent of everything that we've come to know. Well, Tucker had a really good open um, as well. Uh, and uh, let's see. What's it? Oh, well, there's also there's two clips I have. I'm, I think I'm going to skip the... Uh, uh, this is the, this is the uh, uh, Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum exposed i'm going to play this one i will only have time for one of the two i think we're going to play this one um so um basically uh tucker had a really good um open with respect to uh the price of oil and inflation and one of the things he, he didn't talk about that i've been talking about is speculation the speculative marketing um because that kind of thing is actually um, the reason why it is that these prices are so high is because of the speculation. Um, because we could be producing, you know, our refineries are at 96% capacity right now. And there's a lot of indicators that say, okay, well, the price per, per barrel uh, points to greed within the oil industry. And you, you might say, okay, that, that, that's a possibility um, that that could be the case. But the question that's asked, that's a good question, is why all of a sudden did the oil companies become greedy under just, just under Joe Biden? 
And how can it be that Putin is in control of all of these different things? You know, this oil. How could he have so much power when he has an economy smaller than Spain? So it doesn't make sense. And a lot of liberals are out there saying <clears throat> back during the Obama days, $118 a barrel got you, you, you had you paying $3.50 or something like that at the gas pump. Why is it $118 a barrel today is costing you over $5? And why would that be? And the issue is because of the leases, of the promise to end fossil fuels as we know them, because of not renewing the lease on the Keystone Pipeline development, not renewing leases in Anmore, not renewing leases off the Gulf of Mexico, in the Gulf, and, and elsewhere. So these, and then tapping into the, um, the emergency reservoirs, um, all of these things set a uh, gloomy picture in the future. And so speculators are pricing the oil today based on the uh, forecast of what they expect the oil market to be in the future. And if, if, if we would have let well enough alone and allowed fracking to happen and allowed uh, for America to be energy independent, we would not be empowering. We would have more leverage over Russia if we care so much about the Russia-Ukraine effort. We would have more le- leverage over Saudi Arabia if we're not happy with the Saudi kingdom killing Jamal Khashoggi, for example. Um, you know, everybody's up in arms about that. The globalists are because we all know glo- uh, Jamal Khashoggi was in bed with Bin Talal and, and they're connected with Bill Gates. We know that. Okay? It's not... It's not a secret. So let's take a listen to this, though. This is a kind of an interesting expose on uh, Klaus Schwab and Elon Musk and sort of the, the battle that's going on here. ESG is a scam. It has been weaponized by phony. So this is Elon Musk, and we've been talking about this environmental social governance uh, ESG. Uh, and so Elon Musk calls ESG a scam social justice warriors, he wrote. Elon also shared memes ridiculing the inclusion of six oil companies onto the index and claiming that a good ESG score equates to a company's compliance with the leftist agenda. Certain sectors have questioned the concept of ESG, mostly because it allows companies and investors to escape prosecution for socially irresponsible activities or investments. According to Bloomberg, the world's largest ESG-focused exchange-traded fund has nearly 3.1% of its assets invested in the oil and gas sector, the same sector that is speeding up the climate crisis. The UN may have introduced ESG ratings, but today, the World Economic Forum is one of ESG's biggest supporters. The World Economic Forum, or WEF, is an international organization based in Geneva, Switzerland, that brings together political and business leaders each year to discuss major issues affecting the global economy. Political, economic, social, and environmental concerns are just a few examples. Klaus Schwab, a business professor at the University of Geneva, founded the WEF in 1971. It was originally known as the European Management Forum, but in 1987 it changed its name to the World Economic Forum in order to expand its vision to include offering a platform for reconciling international conflicts. 
The WEF is perhaps best known for its annual World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland. This event attracts business and political leaders from around the world on a regular basis for a series of discussions about global issues. The membership of the WEF is a cross-section of the global elite from the private and public sectors and includes some of the world's most prominent CEOs, diplomats, celebrities, media personalities, government officials, religious leaders, and union representatives. The World Economic Forum's mission is based on what is known as stakeholder theory, a term that we should all be wary about. According to stakeholder theory, while the goal of a private sector entity is to increase profits for its shareholders, the organization must view the rest of society as having a stake in the company's actions. Key decisions must take into account stakeholders such as employees, customers served by the company, and the local and global community. The World Economic Forum is headquartered in Switzerland and has offices in New York, Beijing, Tokyo, San Francisco, and Mumbai. The COVID-19 pandemic forced some changes to the annual WEF meetings, which have recently become a huge media sensation. The World Economic Forum and its annual meeting in Davos has been criticized in the past. The conference and the organization itself have been criticized for their corporate capture of global and democratic institutions, as well as systemic whitewashing initiatives. The public cost of security, the organization's tax-exempt status, ambiguous decision processes, as well as membership criteria, a lack of financial transparency, and the environmental footprint of their annual meetings. Following public outcry, the Swiss national government decided in February 2021 to lower its annual contributions to the WEF. Rutger Bregman, a Dutch historian, went viral three years ago during a Davos panel when he called out billionaires for tax evasion. Bregman stated in a video that has now been viewed almost 11 million times that the primary cause of inequality is a global failure to effectively combat tax avoidance. It's like I'm at a firefighter's convention where no one is allowed to talk about water, Bregman said at the time. This isn't rocket science. We've got to talk about taxes. That's all. Taxes, taxes, and more taxes. In reference to the previous WEF theme, The Great Reset, hundreds of thousands of posts have circulated on social media in recent years, many of which appear to claim that the global elite was planning to use the coronavirus to cause total economic collapse. We have been the target of misinformation campaigns, as have many other organizations, and that is something we are actively working to address, said Sadia Zahidi, managing director of the World Economic Forum. We trust facts, science, evidence, and expertise. And that is what the hundred or so experts gathered at this meeting, along with business and political leaders, are going to provide. Protesters, activists, and people on the forefront of inequality have challenged the WEF over its empty rhetoric, accusing Davos of being a symbol of a failed era that should be abandoned. According to a report released recently by the global charity Oxfam, 573 people became billionaires during the coronavirus pandemic, at a rate of one every 30 hours. According to the brief, titled Profiting from Pain, 263 million more people will fall into extreme poverty this year, at a rate of 1 million every 33 hours. Billionaires are arriving in Davos to celebrate an incredible surge in their fortunes. The pandemic and now the steep increases in food and energy prices have, simply put, been a bonanza for them, said Gabriella Butcher, executive director at Oxfam. Decades of progress on extreme poverty are now in reverse, and millions of people are facing impossible rises in the cost of simply staying alive, she added. 
The WEF is bankrolled by its own membership, which includes industry leaders as well as people from all walks of life, such as celebrities, journalists, and others willing to pay annual premiums and meeting fees to attend. WEF partners include some of the biggest companies in technology, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, pharmaceuticals, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, food such as Unilever, the Coca-Cola company, Nestle, and oil like Saudi Aramco, Shell, Chevron, and BP. With such a star-studded lineup, it's pretty obvious why the WEF is so powerful. Six regional meetings are held in developing countries in Africa, East Asia, and Latin America, but the annual conference in Davos, Switzerland is the focal point for all members. WEF meetings are believed to heavily influence corporate and public sector decision-making by introducing new issues, trends, and organizations for discussion to members and the general public. The concept that the global economic, political, and social order must undergo a great reset in the face of technological progress, environmental concerns, and the economic destruction caused by the COVID-19 pandemic has become a major theme in recent WEF publications and events. These conversations, meetings, and themes are inspired in part by Klaus Schwab's 2020 book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. The Great Reset proposes numerous reforms addressing economic, societal, geopolitical, environmental, and technological concerns. The Reset advocates for massive wealth redistribution and a reduction in competition, creative destruction, and economic expansion in favor of collective goals, government control, and social welfare. In its advocacy for structural reforms and redistribution, the agenda emphasizes various social justice themes. As you would expect, the Great Reset has sparked considerable debate as the agenda's implications have become public. Those who support free enterprise and oppose radical social reconstruction have united in their opposition. There have also been several obvious errors that have resulted in the deletion or re-editing of some WEF publications and social media posts. You know, uh, when you when you take a look at all that, you, you, all you got to do is look at the bottom line. Why is it that there are so many billionaires out of COVID and so many? Why is the gap between the haves and the have-nots growing? That gap, and why are there so many billionaires uh, emerging out of this whole globalist scheme in the name of COVID and climate change and control and regulation? And this whole thing about controlling every aspect of your life, social credit score systems, controlling uh, the money, uh, controlling the mobility, where you know how you move around the globe, and, and the te- kind of technology that you can actually uh, participate in. They want to keep the middle class weak. That's what this inflation thing is all about. They want, because you're the threat, the middle class is the threat to the elite, and they want to neutralize the threat. In any case, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show today. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org and buglecall.org to find out what we're doing to advance America First policies to make America great again. Also, if you're going to go over to mypillow.com and buy some products, be sure that you use Red State as your promo code. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. I'm from a small town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.